the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Happy April 2nd. Can that be an occasion or am I stretching too far at this point in time? So let's talk markets. Let's talk investing. Let's talk anything that's on your financial mind. Anything. You don't have to be shy. I prefer that you not be. I prefer that you call the show 800 516 1220. It's 800 516 1220 to get your calls on the air. We opened today a slightly higher. It's kind of already been a mixed market, which is interesting because we're only 37 minutes into the trading day. We see the SP 500 up one, the Dow up 11. The NASDAQ up five, 10 year treasury ticks a little bit closer to three, telling us that there's some positive news in the market. So, the top stories of the day General Motors CEO Mary, Barry, Mary Barra is due for a second day of testimony on Capitol Hill, which kind of sucks because I like to go to the gym right around noon. And it seems like the Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill testimony is right around noon, so nothing on the treadmill, if you know what I'm saying. Except for Mary Bear, which, for the record, I guess she's easy on the eyes as far as female CEOs go. So ignition switch recall. And yesterday really didn't turn anything. Uh, GM stock ended up higher yesterday. It's trading slightly higher today. So the headlines aren't killing the stock. GM decided in 2005 not to redesign the ignition switch because it would have added about a dollar to each cost of the car. One dollar. One dollar. Uh, flash forward eight, nine years, and you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Wells Fargo, the bank, struck a new 10-year agreement to provide and service credit cards for retailers' dealers. Wells Fargo is going to replace General Electric, GE, uh, consumer finance unit, when the agreement begins in the fourth quarter of this year. Separately, Wells Fargo Chief Financial Officer Tim Sloan will head the bank's wholesale retail unit on May 15th. He's going to be succeeded by CFO, by current EVP, John Shrewsbury. Wells Fargo, great, great long-term name. Good bank, solid bank. Apollo Education's in the news today. Wells Fargo upgraded the for-profit education company to outperform from market reform, citing improved cost management and better new student numbers. I've never been a big fan of for-profit education names. Um, Something just seems wrong about how they operate or what their degrees actually mean 
two students. So it's never really clicked for me. And again, that's just me, and that's okay. BlackBerry, smartphone maker, ended a licensing deal with T-Mobile, meaning T-Mobile won't be selling BlackBerry products for use on its own network uh, when the current contract expires on April 25th. BlackBerry is basically done as a phone company. They're now going to be an enterprise software company. So take that to the bank for whatever it's worth. So Amazon.com, interesting company. They've rolled out a new service allowing customers returns using metal lockers at various locations. The company's going to hold a news conference later today to update its video business model. A lot of people are speculating that they're going to come up with some sort of dongle, a lot like Chromecast or a lot like Roku, uh, a lot like Apple Television for streaming later today. Charter Communications, a big cable company. Today, the air in the news, they could re-enter the bidding for Time Warner Cable. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, the financial dynamics of the deal have changed due to a drop in stock prices for both Comcast and Time Warner Cable. Comcast announced its all-stock deal for Time Warner Cable on February 13th. So, yeah, that's one of the stories that's kind of an if and button candy and nuts of what a party would have. It's not quite right. Microsoft is expected to unveil more about its future strategy for Windows today at its Build Conference held in San Francisco. It's... I know, you know, we know, we all know that there's something weird about Microsoft and as far as conferences go. It's like, okay, you're on Apple. Quit trying to be Apple. Their stores are kind of like a pathetic Apple, right? Myriad Genetics, it's a big drug company. They're going to still see Medicare payments for its genetic screening test cut, but not as much as first expected. So Myriad Genetics in the news today. So those are the big stories of the day, as far as story stocks go. What do you want to talk about? 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. As far as um, you know, underlying stories, I guess, pushing the market, and I guess not the story stocks, but the economic data. March ADP employment survey missed expectations, 191,000 versus expectations of about 215,000. That's a slight miss Um, as far as adding employment goes. Keep in mind, we get the employment numbers on Friday in the United States, first Friday of every month, really big Friday, really big Friday, because if those numbers surprise to the upside, it's always a party. Um, as far as unemployment goes, I guess you would say surprise to the downside. But if we have more jobs created than expected, people are always pretty good on Wall Street. Dow Jones Transportation Average continues recent outperformance. Um, again, suggesting that if we're transporting things and stock market looks six months into the future, it's telling that the economy continues to pick up in the future. Um, whether it be planes, trains, or automobiles, we have to transfer goods from factories around the world to stores in your world. Strength today seen in consumer discretionary, healthcare, industrials, and telco services. Weakness in financials and technology and energy. So this is a weird little market today. This is a market that's moving higher on value, but not necessarily higher on momentum. So GM to Chrysler sales accelerated ahead of 2013. The car numbers yesterday were pretty darn solid across the board. 
Freezing temperatures that kept car buyers off dealer lots in January and February gave way to warmer weather, and that warmer weather equaled you and I going out and picking up a car. Less snow and ice with some generous incentives um, helped propel auto sales to the best March in seven years. Best March in seven years. That's, again, a, you can look at the market and go, you're too overvalued. You just moved too far too fast. I'm scared. Or you could say, we just had our best auto month in seven years, and that goes a long way to our economy. A car is not a cheap purchase. A car is probably, I don't know, what, 10, 15, 20% of your salary every month that you're servicing as far as Costco. It's up there. It's a big ticket item. Sales are up 1.4% for the year as snow thaws in a lot of regions around the country. Dealers are moving the backlog of inventory off lots with discounts. So that whether it be Ford, Toyota, Nissan, Chrysler, they all topped expectations. GM also has a horrible, horrible recall in the news, and they're still doing okay. So, and when I say they, I've got a horrible, horrible PR nightmare. Uh, 7 million recalls, 13 deaths, 2.6 million uh, linked to those 13 deaths. It's not a good situation. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I do have an event coming up, which I do kind of want to start talking about at some point. It's going to be a Money 101 type scenario. It's coming up in about three weeks from now. You can always find out more about my seminars coming up. Next one is in early game at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. Here's Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. Berg Market Minute. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black. I give you second opinions or outside angles on the top stories of the day. We could all benefit from doing better at investing. I hope. Otherwise, I don't have much of a show, do I? One of my goals on this show is to get you to retirement. It's a pretty noble and pretty lofty goal. So someone who starts saving at 25 versus someone who starts saving at 35, it's dramatic. And maybe you're 45 and you don't care about the story, but maybe you have a kid who's turning 20. And maybe you should care. I have a scenario in my head called hypothetical savers, and hypothetically, one of them's named Emily and one of them's named Dave. If Emily puts $200 a month into a retirement account with an estimated 6% rate of return starting at age 25, if Dave starts saving $200 per month at age 35, just 10 years after Emily, they both add $200 a month all the way until they're 65 years old. 
By the time they're 65 years old, Emily's contributed 96000 Dave has contributed 72000 But the trajectory of their savings is dramatically different. Dave ends up with only $200,000. Emily ends up with $400,000. Emily started saving just 10 years earlier, and she put in only about 33% more because of those 10 years of $200. $200 is a number everyone can do. I know it is. But by the time they're ready to retire, you know, Emily has $402,000. Dave has $203,000. That extra 10 years is, is massive. It's, it's simple math, and it shows you the value of, of having time on your side. That's something we all have right now. The flip side of the story is nearly half the United States couldn't live a month on their savings. One angle is, look, if you start young, you're going to end up pretty good. The other angle is, since it's Financial Literacy Month, happy April. I hear you saying, it can't possibly be Love a Puppy Month. No, no. Um, puppy Day actually comes back in February, so forget about that. National Puppy Day. April's Financial Literacy Month. So how financially prepared are you if you stop working? I was speaking with a friend last night, and we had a couple of adult beverages. And I think you, both of us kind of see that, like, we don't want to work much longer. We don't want to work till the day we die. We kind of want to enjoy some things, whether it be your children or setting up a financial path that equals enjoyment. There's a website survey company called Retail Me Not. They recently pulled 1,000 Americans. They found that the overall consumers are doing pretty well on personal finance. But Americans are savers, a whopping 80% of Americans have saved some money, they've set it aside. But the sad truth is, is out of that 80%, nearly half don't have enough money to save to live off for one month without an ongoing source of income. So we literally live paycheck to paycheck. And even when we save, we're saving just a scant amount. And that's almost like fooling ourselves. About 25% of people with savings accounts don't know how much is in it. About 51% are confident in their knowledge or understanding of personal finance. Only 51% of Americans are confident of their knowledge of personal finance. How are you? I've got a friend at my television station that I work with that she is freaked out of her mind as far as understanding her 401k. Only 22% are confident that they will be able to retire at the time um, with some sort of style they were hoping for. Only 22% are confident. I'll tell you what, the number should be 75. Most Americans should think, I'm not going to retire into any sort of comfort or luxury. A lot of you think you're going to get an inheritance, and mom and dad live longer, 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 that inheritance gets dwindled down. And then you get the inheritance, and you're like, I'm going to get a car. So instead of putting it towards your retirement, you're doing the exact wrong thing with it. So save, 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 save is you know, the mantra of the day. Cutting back on a, a few little luxuries here or there, whether it be a car wash or a manicure, whether it's prime time cable channels, you have to save more and you have to funnel more into that retirement angle. I think shopping smart is something that most people don't do. Most people don't price compare. 
I want to go on a vacation, and, you know, first thing I did was I got a price from the hotel that I wanted to stay at. Cause they offer, like, uh, packages with flights. And, uh, you know, after that, I need to get Expedia. I need to get a Travelocity. I need to get a kayak. I need to, like, make sure that that's the lowest price possible. I do. You do. I think one of the mistakes that people make is, again, not only do we not save, 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 not only do we not shop smart, but another mistake we make is we don't keep track. So there's a good website, mint.com. It keeps track of your accounts. You can achieve savings goals. You could pay off big debt. Uh, it's not the smartest website ever. And when you're professionally tied to a CFP, you're going to start using something called eMoney. And I highly recommend it. It's a great way of seeing where all your money is, what all your costs are. And I think it's tight. So if you're not a financial rock star or if there are specific things you don't understand, like how to efficiently save for retirement, um, can help. Talk to people like me. I essentially work for beer. Um, I essentially work for getting to know you. So how's that for a better, more politically correct answer? Um, start young. There's some clever piggy banks out there, like the Money Savvy Pig. It's $25 at Amazon.com. This is a fantastic gift for your children or your children's children. It's called the Money Savvy Pig. It's a piggy bank which teaches people about saving, spending, donating, and it's pretty clever. So to get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Don't be shy. Um, another thing that you can do with your children is actually put them to work. A lot of people ask, like, how do I teach my kids about money? Give them a job. Sign chores for allowance. 68% of people believe that assigning chores for allowance is one of the best ways to teach kids about financial lessons. I kind of agree. Chores teach kids the value of hard work. It allows them to earn some money of their own that they can spend on their own without you saying no sugar or no candy or whatever. Another thing you can do for your children to make them more financially savvy is take them shopping. When kids see you shopping smart, they learn a lesson. So just don't go and get the box of Wheaties, compare the box of Wheaties to a box total, and then make a decision. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm talking all things financial. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. There was an ADP survey this morning that says the United States added about 191,000 workers in March. The ADP survey, I don't think a lot of people really give it credit. 
Um, so don't read a lot into it. Now, what you should read a lot into is the overall year-over-year numbers on Wall Street. And they're historically on your side. Seven out of ten years, the market goes up. It's not gambling. You're not picking up a scratcher. You're not throwing down two bucks for a lotto ticket. Seven out of ten years, it's up. Anyone who disagrees with that has a problem mathematically in their head. Something's not clicking. So don't look at it as legalized gambling. Look at it as it's the only game in town that you actually win at most of the time. It's based on capitalism. It's based on profit. It's based on our economy that people work. S&P 500 is up one today. The Dow is up 11. The Nasdaq's up five. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my lender. He's done a couple loans for me in the past few years. I bring that up because I trust him. I bring that up because I think you can trust him. He does a great job of packaging scenarios for you and showing you your options. Whether I definitely don't want a seven-year one arm, I want a 30-year, he'll show you the 30, the 15, and the seven one because that's his job, to show you your options. Um, one of the things that I was surprised about the 2013 government shutdown was some of the stories that came along that said getting a, a mortgage is going to be tougher because the IRS is shut down. Getting a mortgage is going to be tougher because... Um, we verify wages as well, um, we being the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit – I think people don't – they're not prepared with how much paperwork there is yeah. and how much different, how many different sources you have to go to. So I think it's incredibly rude for someone to shop a lender because once they shop, you start doing this process where you're calling 20 to 30 different people on their behalf. And, and it's not just the amount of paperwork that you have to go through to actually get the appropriate quote. It's the amount of work that we have to do on the – ECOA, for example, they they make us put out these disclosures every time. If I give you a quote, I have to give you a disclosure. So, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. Um, there was a Mortgage Bankers Association. They do this uh, rating on how difficult it is to get a mortgage. And an index is at 101, approximately. They uh, they estimated that back in 2006, 2007, at the peak of the real estate market back then, uh, it would have been at 800. So that's how much harder it's gotten. Higher number being easier, and it's only it's it's going down. So we're going to see a lot more difficult guidelines come up. We have the lenders that are implementing this year already some of the qualified mortgage rules that are coming up in 2014 January, which we expect to be fully implemented by then, and expected for lenders to follow these rules. Um, but yeah, during the 2013 shutdown, it was it was it made it even more difficult. We had this thing called a 4506 IRS transcript request. That got delayed, um, and but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll ease the guidelines and say, okay, just give us tax returns. We'll be okay with that. Um, but it did become more difficult, and this is just the theme that we're going to see throughout 2014 and beyond. It's pretty, they're similar standards to what they were before 2000. The 2000s was a different era, Robbie. It was a very strange era. We're let going put, back to the norm. Let me put that in perspective. 2000s, you can get $600,000 by basically initialing two pieces of paper. Liar loans. At that point in time, the lender would say, okay, I'm going to go start filling out numbers. You know how they did liar loans, right? No, tell me. Um, so you give them your type of work, and they would yeah. go to this website, and it would have this graph. It says if you've been in it this long, you get paid this much, and then it goes like that. And they pick the highest number, and they use that as your income. Okay. So stated income loan. Was it ever so egregious? Like liar loans were good for like football players who they don't care. They just want to get the money. Um did you ever get things like people like me saying, yeah, Tony, I, I, I pitch for the 
the San Francisco Giants. Do you ever get liars like that? Or was it more no, it, it, inflationary what, what, on you, your end? what you typically saw, and this is where subprime really came into a um, – dug people into a hole, was they would literally make up jobs for people. Did I show you the email I got the other day? From It was a business card that, that people are still handing out. It says, we will make up a W-2 for you and verify the job. So it was essentially like that. They were, make, they were making up jobs. They were just doing what they call ver- uh, verbal verifications. So you could give the lender a phone number for your buddy. They would call that, and the guy would go, oh, yeah, this guy does a lawn care for me. He's been doing it for three years. Boom. There's your income. Yeah. Um, and those are liar loans. Those are stated income loans, and it was very, very, very skeptical. I mean, it, it just it, it just made so many more people qualify for home loans. It drove home prices up. It was the first thing that I saw when I came to California is that why, why would people get teaser? Not only that, you could get teaser loans. It'd start 1%, negam loans, and you could go up to 100% financing. It was crazy. Okay, so how do you prepare somebody? Because I freak out every time I do a loan. Um, I, whenever I buy a house, I pay someone to sign for me. Like I, I yeah, you know, I, I give them credit because I don't like going through all that paperwork. Quite honestly, it's the toughest part of my job is to is to hide people from the the red tape that they have to go through. It's becoming harder and harder and harder. Now I know I want to say that I'm the best. I get loans done. You know, everybody's from my commercial, but it's you know, it, I get loans I get, done. I get loans done. Uh, you know, and that's getting harder. It's actually it's I get loans done, but it's harder to keep people from seeing. Like the lender asking for multiple types of transactions, you know, deposits now. If you have a deposit at an ATM, they want that check. Oh, I know. That happened to me. They want that check. Um, I deposit large amounts, and when I was doing a refi, they're like, why were you depositing $6,000? And I had to go, like, I I don't remember. And that came up with Dodd-Frank. There's a lot of um, anti uh, launder- money laundering rules that came up as well, and that that is now forcing lenders to look at things like that. So the overregulation that we had as a result from the um, the real estate crash is really making it tough on people now. So be prepared. If you do a refi, if you buy a home, it's going to take some time. Know that the lender is working their butts off for you. I get calls from Tony on occasion where he's just frustrated that a loan's not getting funded yet because he needs one more thing. So it's going to be it's a freaky experience for me, for you, for everyone. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. So WhatsApp was that purchase from, Amazon, uh, from Facebook. And Facebook basically purchased a company that has a lot of non-Americans using an app. WhatsApp is a popular messaging service that was bought for $19 billion. They said yesterday that they just handled a record 64 billion messages in a single day. And that's good news for Facebook. Facebook is investing in the future. There's a lot of money to be made right now from Americans on our fat tushes as we sit at our desktops. There's a lot of money to be made off our cell phones. But where the wealth is in the rest of the world... There's not, well, where the wealth is, where the people are that use the Internet, in the rest of the world, not so much. And that's what WhatsApp's all about. Tech sector was weighed down today, ultimately, by shares of Cisco. J.P. Morgan analyst Rod Hall reiterated an underweight rating, telling clients in a note the tech giant will likely continue, the tech giant will continue to weigh on the, you know, overall performance of Cisco. There's not much more in that note. 
which is unfortunate. Cause it's not saying like, well, it's telco equipment, it's router equipment, it's uh, internally too bloated scenario. There's not a lot there. Amazon today announced that you will be able to return goods by a physical locker. You might have seen their physical lockers. Um, they have them at some 7-Elevens that I've been in. So it helps address a problem with for Amazon, as a third of all online purchases are eventually returned. A third of all online purchases are eventually returned. That's a lot. Who knew? It's costly for merchants that, in some cases, pay for shipping in both directions. Packaging and shipping orders is a major expense for Amazon. The company's been on a warehouse-building frenzy, constructing facilities close to urban centers to speed delivery times. Amazon spent $8.5 billion on fulfillment in 2013, up from $6.4 billion the year earlier. So they've been installing these, you know, I would almost call them urban lockers. And it puts packages in one of the few cabinets in the locker and sends the customer code to open it usually giving them two or three days to do so. For returns, Amazon will send a code to open a specific cabinet where you can leave your merchandise for UPS or other carriers to retrieve. Interesting, UPS now is getting into the business, or the UPS man is now getting into the business of repackaging your goods and resending them. Uh, but that's smart of Amazon to do. They see it as one of their bottlenecks. They see it as one of their problems. Now, later today, we expect Amazon to unveil its own streaming video device at an event in New York. Streaming video product in the works. The device said to plug in until it is HDMI port and allow direct access to the company's prime instant video service. Very similar to Google's Chromecast. It's expected very much so on the same page. Um, just getting into more TVs is the idea. To calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, the gold bugs. Are you ready to cry, Uncle? As interest rates are expected to climb higher in the next two years, gold should get swacked pretty hard. That's gold. Uh, gold. Gold works in a, a moving down interest rate environment, not a moving up interest rate environment. It's a lot tougher. It's not saying that it can't work, but it's a lot tougher work. You can find me online at robblack.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. We'll take a break here. I'll be right back. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, looking at markets. The ADP employment survey missed expectations, came in at 191,000 versus expectations of 215,000. The Dow Jones transportation average is continuing the outperformance. There's financial market excitement. Um, we're at record highs. 
yesterday the auto numbers came out, and they were pretty good. And that helped propel us to record highs on the market. Are you partying? Is it good? Is it great? Are you are you with me? You should be. S&P 500 is up one today. Eh, the numbers aren't even that important. What we ultimately have is a slightly pricey market that needs better than expected revenues, and the revenues have been coming in pretty good. We're moving into earnings season next week, so we'll want to continue to see that. I would say the big negative on the market right now is there's just a boatload of IPOs. They're unseasoned companies, and the more that come out, the more rookies we have out there. And when they crack, they tend to crack pretty aggressively after nine months where insiders lock up, come up, and uh, the stock starts to underperform. The IPOs have taken away a little bit of the luster of the big momentum names, the Amazons, the Apples, uh, the Teslas. So the established momentum names have seen a little bit of a correction recently. King Digital Entertainment, maker of Candy Crush, they came public at roughly $21 a share, $20 a share. And then they fell to $17 a share. Now they're back to $20 a share. And that one will be interesting because it's cheap on a valuation basis if they can continue some sort of momentum as far as product goes or earnings. Either or will do. Both will do. A billion-dollar bracelet. This was an interesting story in the New York Times today. Disney spent over a billion dollars on a system that changes how visitors do everything at their parks, from checking in at the front desk to the hotels to the, the rides. So it's called My Magic Plus. It's an ambitious effort. Disney wants to become more profitable. As if their parks aren't profitable enough, they want to become more profitable. So introducing this technology has been daunting. It's had a lot of complexities. It's had a lot of training of employees, of which Disney employs 70,000 employees, equipping 28,000 hotel rooms with radio frequency readers, prompting guests to wear data-collecting electronic wristbands so they know exactly where you go, when you go, why you go, for everything. So when does it equal investment return? A billion dollars of equipment upgrade, we want to see that you know, return on investment. It's kind of like a fast pass. It allows visitors to pre-book front-of-the-line access to three rides, to parades, to characters, meets and greets. system also strives to make it easier for guests to buy food and merchandise. Just stand at the register, swipe your wristband. It functions as a room key, park ticket, VIP access. So they want to be intelligent on what expectations are. They want to manage it. So for Disney, a $143 billion entertainment conglomerate, a billion-dollar upgrade, you can see that it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's nothing. It's an important initiative for them, but based on their sheer scale, it's been, like I said, daunting. And you throw in a bumpy economy, and it's been a little bit more. But if Disney, if Disney, if Disney gets right... 
that little smart van technology will ripple through the whole leisure industry to other parks, to other zoos, to museums, to Vegas resorts. So Disney's set to name a new CEO in 2016. I don't want Michael Iger to leave. I think Disney's been a really, really great, well-run franchise for the last six years. But when this technology rolls out, again, we won't know immediately if it's a win-win. Robert Iger, by the way. He said, be patient. This is a very new product, and we're not going to even come close to quantifying it for quite a while. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. One of the things about this market that I like a lot is kind of the new age of some things coming to fruition. The age of renewables is upon us. A lot of people are starting to see renewable energy as real. The levelized cost of energy primarily solar and wind, costs continue to decline, and they're getting increasingly competitive with natural gas peakers. Natural gas peakers are natural gas plants that turn on during periods of high demand. So solar module cost declines thanks to Moore's laws. The outlook is for module cost decline another 11% per year over the next five years, primarily driven by lower cost production. That should bode well for companies like Tesla. Probably silicon price declines, lower conversion factors, and higher efficiencies, longer module lifespans. So you're starting to see the age renewables start to become very, very competitive with the cheaper end of our energy spectrum. Anyhow, I'm comfortable with this bull market. It's got one, two years left in it if revenues and jobs continue to stay solid. We'll pay attention to that and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Oh, my. What do we have to talk about today? We hit market highs, all-time highs yesterday on the SP500. There was a good auto report. Again, autos and homes are two very pricey things in our life, and they show our commitment to... Attach a, a work dollar figure amount to a big ticket purchase. And when you see auto numbers come in better than expected, you see people spending. And that's, I don't think, the best way of spending. You know, buying a new car is one of the few things you should ever do. You should usually buy one to two year old cars, it's new to you, and you get a lot of depreciation on a big ticket item. You know, saving a dollar on a grocery coupon, it's cute. Saving 10 to 20% on a $40,000 vehicle, it's, it's smart. And most people just can't put themselves up to it. They have to buy new. And uh, unfortunately, that is a shame, shame, shame kind of scenario. So I think the big tech story today, 
the big job story for the economy is ADP numbers came in a little less than expected. But the big tech story of the day has to be Amazon.com. They're stepping up their technology initiative. The world's largest Internet retailer set to unveil a television viewing device for streaming movies, television shows, and other items on the web. It's going to put them in direct competition with Apple and Google. It's going to escalate their fight with Netflix on video streaming services. Now, again, Amazon really hasn't told us how many people are actually even subscribing to Prime, even though Prime is the free shipping that they have, free overnight or two-day. But you also get the free video streaming with it. They're not really giving out numbers yet. Um, So is Amazon a retailer or is Amazon a Netflix? They're both. Is Google a search engine or are they a cable company? They're both. So there's kind of a convergence going on here into other industries. A TV device provides a new platform for software, developers to build games and other applications for various digital devices. So are they a gaming console or are they a shipping company or are they – you kind of get the idea, right? Apple's TV product costs $99 while it provides access to videos from iTunes, Hulu, YouTube, and others. Google's TV product called Chromecast was introduced last year, cost $35. Others competing in the market include Microsoft with their Xbox gaming system and Roku. So this is an attack, and it's, it's kind of fun to watch. You know, hopefully you don't get too caught up in all of this and think that, you know, uh, don't get too caught up looking at the competition, trying to figure out which one's right, which one's wrong. Because it's it's a nine-inning ball game, and to try to predict winners and losers is silly. You know, yesterday I got a phone call from a guy who wanted to figure out, you know, what's the best way to buy Google shares, the new Google, the old Google What's the best way to do it? Because they're splitting and they're coming up with a new class of investor. Great Googly movie. My ultimate goal is buy a good company. And don't worry about financial engineering. But I understand that people want to figure out the financial engineering angle. So a little bit more detail um, on the Amazon device. Uh, it's coming public right now, the details are. I don't think you want popcorn. I don't think it's that kind of angle. So there's tons of original shows you can get on Amazon Prime Instant Video. There's a huge spike in the number of Amazon Digital Video customers in 2011 because Amazon started to invest in more original content. Service grew 350%. Now, again, that's a bogus number. If you go from five to, like, eight, is that a big number? No. Amazon isn't the only one investing uh, in content. So Hulu and Netflix are as well, which is interesting because the traditional barriers to be a broadcast television network was expensive licenses that you had to have to broadcast, and they invested in content. Now there's no expensive licenses if you're Hulu or Netflix or Amazon. They're just streaming it to your television. One big problem on 
all of the content devices right now is search. So these television streaming products, if you have them, you have to use some sort of wand, i.e. remote control, and go, like, for instance, you're looking up Gilligan's Island, you have to go, G, da, 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 search, 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 I, just search, search, move, move, cursor, cursor, move, cursor, move, cursor, L, L. So it's one letter at a time, and that's got people kind of laggy, kind of unhappy with it. Um, so Amazon's introducing a device that's going to be better, in their opinion. So they're trying to come up with a product for television that kind of gets rid of that bad performance. The closed ecosystem of Apple versus Roku, it's pretty different. And, for instance, there's a, a digital media company that I want to work with that they are on Roku devices, but they're not on Apple devices yet. So one of the problems with Xbox, you can't access your Netflix account unless you have a $60 service for the Xbox subscription service. Um, why can't you watch Amazon Prime shows with your Apple TV? Apple, Amazon is trying to say, look, we're going to invent and simplify. So they want to have that missionary status, how it brings customer innovation and great service together. Amazon says it's striving for technology that provides great service that feels seamless. Its new living room product will be simple enough that you can easily sit back and relax, introducing Amazon Fire TV. It's a box, folks. So now we got the Amazon Fire Kindle. Now we got the Amazon Fire TV device. Yeah. I'm not going to jump up and down for this one, am I? Probably not. Anyhow, um, that's the big tech story of the day. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You know, whether we have up markets or down markets on any money, it's just isn't that important. We are at record highs in the S&P 500. That's kind of important for people to note that you're buying at all-time highs. Makes things a little bit more expensive. Makes things a little bit more. You might make a mistake, and that's okay. You get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. Drop me an email, Rob at robblack.com. It's Rob at robblack.com. Uh, GM still doing a lot of testimony right now in front of Congress. So far, it's not affecting stock price. Uh, other big stories of note today, Mankind won the recommendation of an FDA panel for its approval of its inhaled diabetes drug. So that stock's moving higher, MNKD. We'll take a break here. You're with Straw Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Black and your money 
on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in, Rob Black. Your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Supreme Court today voted five to four to eliminate overall caps on how much individuals can donate to political candidates, parties, and interest groups. The ruling left in place the $2,600 limit on how much a citizen can donate to any one candidate for Congress or the presidency, but it opened up how many different groups you can give to. Basically, unlimited. Republicans have a fundraising advantage in 2014 election cycle. So this is probably considered good news for the Republicans. Again, I'm neither Republican or Democrat. I find them both to be kind of vile. Uh, it seems to be more of a let's get reelected and stay in power kind of job now than it does to help our people job. Uh, and again, maybe maybe I'm a little cynical. So Sarah Palin talked about Paul Ryan's budget plan and calls it a joke. How is she still relevant? Like, does anyone get this? Anyone? Anyone? I'd get rid of it. Yeah, I would probably, too, all things being equal. Google investors are about to get Google and Google. So one stock's going to be Goog, G-O-O-O-G, G-O-O-G. Another one's G-O-O-G-L. So you're about to get twice as many shares and change... And it changed is basically meant to help Larry and Sergey maintain control over the company. They want the voting rights. The much-awaited Google two-for-one stock split is finally happening today. So shareholders, as of March 27th, will get two shares for every one they own. One set of shares called Class A will trade under a new ticker symbol, G-O-O-G-L. The other Class C will be listed in the company's historic ticker, G-O-O-G. Change means Google will have twice as many shares outstanding. The gap earnings per share Google will report for the first quarter will be half what they would otherwise be, but not a lot else difference. Um, it's essentially meant, again, give the owners, the founders of the company, control. They don't want to dilute their shares of their Class B structure. Um, they couldn't do a big deal before using stock because it changes the voting rights. Now they've got a mechanism where they can use their paper for deals and not lose the majority of voting rights. So you're about to see Google probably go on maybe a, an acquisition spree. Uh, it will be interesting to watch. SP 500 hits a new record. Yay! Pop open the champagne. Or not. Probably not, right? It's not that impressive. The target breach, the data breach, I think it's fair that I say just the target data breach and everyone knows what I'm talking about. 40 million consumers uh, were exposed. An enormous, enormous payment card fraud. It really drew the attention to the looming payment card system. <clears throat> and we need to move towards the chip card standard over the next five years. It's called EMV. TV, the most recognizable as a chip on credit and debit cards that works as an embedded microprocessor. It was created by Europay, Visa, and MasterCard. And that's why it's called EMV. Um, the U.S. is going to adopt this. It's, it's time. 
we were staying with the cheap old technology as long as we could until a massive data breach hit. In 2013, fraud in the U.S. cost $6.8 billion, accounted for 51% of global card fraud losses. That amount is completely out of proportion to the U.S. We dominate global fraud versus the rest of the world. So the cost of implementing EMB to be about $11 billion. Keep in mind, fraud out-of-pocket cost us $6.8 billion. So in two years, it'll look more than pay for itself. The benefits of EMV will not be distributed evenly across the payments industry. Fraud perpetrated with counterfeit cards will decrease because EMV cards are more difficult to copy. But that will lead to a spike of card-not-present fraud as criminals move to different channels, particularly online transactions. So this will be a big threat, and again, it tells you that you need to up your cybersecurity. There's a great deal of uncertainty about the variant of chip card transactions and exactly how it breaks out, but it's out there. So you're going to start seeing some key deadlines for networks to switch, a little bit of pressure. And again, I don't think there's any way out of this one. I think it has to happen. Some other stories of note. Amazon's announcing that live streaming device for your TV. Not super excited by that, but okay. I guess we continue to change the way we consume media. Retail is containing a major, major shift. I think it's important to always grasp that things change and that you should be okay with that. Um, you know, are we going to the supermarket or are we going to malls? Are we getting stuff online? The old retail model is dying. The old retail model of like Kmart, a Walmart, it's struggling. Um, waiting in line is struggling. Now people want fast. Hundreds of retail stores are closing. Um, for instance, Barnes & Noble. Between 2011 and 2021, they're going to close 226 stores. By the end of 2015, Staples is going to close 225. GameStop's going to close 200 stores. <clears throat> Gap shutting down 189 stores. Amercrombie and Fit shutting down 180. Aeropostale, 175. These are all pretty big numbers. Do you kind of see that? Offline sales growth is continuing to decline offline for, for retailers because store sales are tanking. Holiday quarters have been terrible for physical retail as far as trends go. So foot traffic is going down during the holidays. Where are shoppers going? They're going to Zulily. They're going to Overstock, Amazon, Blue Nile, Snapdeal, JD.com, Alibaba, eBay, Wayfair, they're going online for everything from media, sporting goods, hobby, furniture, electronics, appliances, clothing, accessories. So we're in a pretty profound shift from physical to digital retail, and it's not stopping. So <clears throat> your idea of opening up a new retail store may not be your best idea, just because of the general trend. 
one in 20 retail dollars are, is already online. And that dollar continues to grow. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find me online at robblack.com. online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen from briefing.com. He is the chief economist. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Doing well today. Doing well, for sure. Um, the ADP numbers, are they the, the big economic data point for the day? Yeah, they're the big economic point of the day. Uh, they're completely meaningless, but you know, people tend to look at it because it seems to be you know, a precursor to the uh, unemployment report, so people like to you know, get some kind of insight, even though the correlation between that and the actual numbers are, are pretty weak. Why is that? Like you almost are snarky with this commentary here. Why is yeah, it there's such a big disconnect? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's tough to, to get a grasp on it. The ADP number by itself, what it, what it is, is in historically it used to be just the change in uh, payrolls that uh, the ADP processed. And then during the recession, the ADP numbers and the actual employment report just diverged, you know, tremendously. And a lot of that was that um, the companies that used ADP processing weren't laying off as wor- the workers as quickly as the rest of the general economy. So you were seeing relatively benign payroll losses in the ADP, and you were seeing massive drops in the official numbers. And, um, you know, it, it made the ADP report by itself a little useless. So they decided to change the way the report was functioning. So instead of being, you know, its own independent index, they created it to be an estimate of the official payroll numbers. So at the time, it was created by Macroeconomic Advisors, an economic consulting company, and they came up with an estimate for, you know, what the payroll numbers were going to be after all the revisions came out. So they knew they weren't going to be close to what the, or, or exact to what the first number was going to be, but they assumed that they would get better as, uh, you know, the revisions came in. That product has been, I don't know if it was sold or transferred, but uh, it's not run by macroeconomic advisors anymore. And it's now run by Moody's.com uh, or Moody'sEconomy.com. And it's economist um, Mark Zandi is the uh, the official one in charge of the ADP numbers. And ever since the Moody's took over, economycom.com took over, the numbers have become less and less correlated with the actual numbers. So we get a report now that you know is supposed to be an estimate of the official numbers, but the forecasting accuracy is terrible. So. 
you know, you kind of want to say, can you just go back to the way it was in the beginning where it was just a separate number produced by ADP that gave, you know, an indication of the companies that ADP used, but at least it was an idea of how things were trending. Now it's just a hodgepodge of estimates, and I, and I think it does a terrible job at, at forecasting. At briefing.com, you publish a lot of economic statistics, and one of the economic views on the perspective page you mentioned today that the ADP employment change has a high trading impact. With a lot of what you're saying, of you're kind of debunking it. Why does it have such a high impact? Why are people yeah. putting so much value on? I I don't know, and it's it's very similar to consumer confidence, for example. You know, okay. consumer confidence for some reason is a very big in, uh, movement of the markets. Consumer confidence historically has had almost zero correlation with uh, income trends. Not, sorry, not income trends, consumption trends. So just because you feel happy doesn't mean you're going to spend more, but the market assumes that to be the case. Reality is if your income goes up, your spending goes up. So if you want to see how income is, or see how consumption is doing, you look at the income numbers. Don't look at anything else that's in this you know, uh, consumer confidence, consumer sentiment numbers. But the market is fixated on the idea that this is telling, you know, this is explaining what's going to happen, and, and it doesn't. You know, it's similar to this. You know, they're looking for a number that explains, you know, employment before the official number comes out. So they're using this as a forecasting tool to say, you know, the economy is doing better than they expect or worse than they expect. But in reality is the number doesn't give you any indication or it gives you very poor indication of how the actual employment dynamics are working just because the number is not a very good forecast overall of the employment data. So let's change topics because I think we've beaten this one to death. Crude inventories, why is that number important? Because, again, at briefing.com, under the professional services, on the economic views, you rate the trading impact on crude inventories as high. I don't think most of our listeners pay attention to crude inventories. I don't know if it's necessarily high for the stock market. It's high for commodity traders. And since we have, okay. you know, as a service, we, we, we you know, list uh, trading ideas on commodities. In, in that respect, it's important. Same thing with um, tomorrow's uh, natural gas report. You know, for the most people, you know, natural gas uh, you know, changes in, in stock isn't very important. But to the people that are trading, you know, nat gas futures or are pricing in, you know, changes to nat gas prices, it's important. So in that respect, it's kind of a segmented system, uh, area in our own um, service, but we don't have a way of, you know, specifying that these are good for commodities people, these are good for bonds people, these are good for uh, stock people. So we take the general of, if, is it really important to, to somebody that you know is part of our subscriber base, and we base it off that. So this morning, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, on an interview on Bloomberg Radio, said he expects the first rate hike to come in the first quarter of 2015. He concedes that he's ahead of most of his colleagues. He cites U.S. economic growth, uh, Europe out of a recession, inflation closer to 2% target. Are you expecting interest rates to rise early 2015 or not speculating at all? 
No, and I was actually surprised the board, you know, mentioned that because you know, he, he's focused much more on inflation than on employment dynamics and, and other indicators of, of economic progress. And there is nothing in the data right now that suggests that we're going to have, you know, above-trend uh, inflation, you know, in the beginning of 2015, which would warrant a rate hike. Um, and it's kind of surprising from him because he's also said in the past that, you know, we shouldn't taper or we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves because inflation was running so much below expectations or so much below their target. So to come out and say, you know, we're at right now, I think, 1% year-over-year uh, inflation, and inflation all of a sudden is going to surge over the next, you know, 12 months, let's say, uh, to get back to target, even though income growth remains weak, even though there is still slack in the employment uh, sector, I, I don't buy it. You know, it, it seems to be very over ahead of itself. I'm not sure if I can ask you this, but what do you expect the stock market to do when interest rates do start to move higher, whether it's the first quarter of 2015 or later in 2015? Um. I don't know. I, I think that it all depends okay. on what the economic situation is. I mean, if you're if we're realistically at three and a half percent GDP growth and the rate goes up, I don't see the stock market being you know negatively impacted. If we're at two percent GDP, like we've been at you know for the last few years, and the Fed decides, okay, now we're going to start you know raising rates. Basically, they're telling you know everybody that. You know, don't expect 3% GDP anymore. 2% is about what it is. And if this is our, our potential growth pattern, you know, you know, take that into mind when you're when you're buying and purchasing stocks because, you know, the the expectations for for profits and income uh, and revenues are, are vastly lower than what we've historically seen. Any expectations for Friday's jobs report? I'm at 185 um, based on where the claims numbers are. Uh, I think a number around 200 is plausible. Um, I'm not in the camp where, you know, I think that there was a, uh, a hold-off in, in job production during the first couple months because of winter weather, and all of a sudden those jobs will show up in, um, in March and we'll have like a 250, 260 number. I don't buy that. Uh, I, I also don't think we're going to go to, you know, to 150 uh, again, just because you know initial claims for the month of March were you know about a, about 320,000, which were about 20,000 less than what we've seen over the last you know previous couple of months. So I think we're we're seeing general reductions in layoffs, which support payroll growth in 185 to 200, not much more, and, and definitely not much less. Anything that you're working on right now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, that we should be aware of? Any ideas or thoughts? Um, I've been looking at the auto industry this week. We had the auto numbers that came out today. They were really strong, you know, wondering if that's a uh, an anomaly or if that's something that we should, you know, take into consideration as a trend. It's the best number since November. Um, there's some caveats to the number. If you look deeper, you had, uh, I believe, an extra weekend day in March that boosted, uh, boosted sales, and I think you also had a uh, an increase in incentives that, um, you know, basically lowered prices to uh, attract demand. So trying to see how that is. I also want to look at um, subprimes and wondering if uh, 
the auto subprime industry is, is the uh, mitigating factor for for strong growth over the over you know this month or a couple months before that. And if banks start to tighten on that, what would happen? Thanks very much. Have a good day. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen with Briefing.com, an outstanding source of non-biased information tied towards the economies and world stock markets and much, much more. You can find out more at Briefing.com. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, looking at markets. The ADP employment survey missed expectations, came in at 191,000 versus expectations of 215,000. The Dow Jones transportation average is continuing the outperformance. There's financial market excitement. Um, We're at record highs. Yesterday, the auto numbers came out, and they were pretty good. And that helped propel us to record highs on the market. Are you partying? Is it good? Is it great? Are you are you with me? You should be. S and P five hundred's up one today. Eh, the numbers aren't even that important. What we ultimately have is a slightly pricey market that needs better than expected revenues, and the revenues have been coming in pretty good. We're moving into earnings season next week, so we'll want to continue to see that. I would say the big negative on the market right now is there's just a boatload of IPOs. They're unseasoned companies, and the more that come out, the more rookies we have out there. And when they correct, they tend to correct pretty aggressively after nine months where insiders lock up, come up, and uh, stocks start to underperform. The IPOs have taken away a little bit of the luster of the big momentum names, the Amazons, the Apples, uh, the Teslas. So the established momentum names have seen a little bit of a correction recently. King Digital Entertainment, maker of Candy Crush, they came public at roughly $21 a share, $20 a share. And then they fell to $17 a share. Now they're back to $20 a share. And that one will be interesting because it's cheap on a valuation basis if they can continue some sort of momentum as far as product goes or earnings. Either or will do. Both will do. A billion-dollar bracelet. This was an interesting story in the New York Times today. Disney spent over a billion dollars on a system that changes how visitors do everything at their parks, from checking in at the front desk to the hotels to the, the rides. So it's called My Magic Plus. It's an ambitious effort. Disney wants to become more profitable. 
as if their parks aren't profitable enough, they want to become more profitable. So introducing this technology has been daunting. It's had a lot of complexities. It's had a lot of training of employees, of which Disney employs 70,000 employees, equipping 28,000 hotel rooms with radio frequency readers, prompting guests to wear data-collecting electronic wristbands so they know exactly where you go, when you go, why you go, for everything. So when does it equal investment return? A billion dollars of equipment upgrade, we want to see that you know, return on investment. It's kind of like a fast pass. It allows visitors to pre-book front-of-the-line access to three rides, to parades, to characters, meets and greets. System also strives to make it easier for guests to buy food and merchandise. Just stand at the register, swipe your wristband. It functions as a room key, park ticket, VIP access. So they want to be intelligent on what expectations are. They want to manage it. So for Disney, a $143 billion entertainment conglomerate, a billion-dollar upgrade, you can see that it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's nothing. It's an important initiative for them, but based on their sheer scale, it's been, like I said, daunting. And you throw in a bumpy economy, and it's been a little bit more. But if Disney, if Disney, if Disney gets right, that little smart van technology will ripple through the whole leisure industry to other parks, to other zoos, to museums, to Vegas resorts. So Disney's set to name a new CEO in 2016. I don't want Michael Iger to leave. I think Disney's been a really, really great, well-run franchise for the last six years. But when this technology rolls out, again, we won't know immediately if it's a win-win. Um, Robert Iger, by the way, he said, be patient. This is a very new product, and we're not going to even come close to quantifying it for quite a while. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One of the things about this market that I like a lot is kind of the new age of some things coming to fruition. The age of renewables is upon us. A lot of people are starting to see renewable energy as real. Levelized cost of energy, primarily solar and wind, costs continue to decline, and they're getting increasingly competitive with natural gas peakers. Natural gas peakers are natural gas plants that turn on during periods of high demand. So solar, module cost declines thanks to Moore's Laws. The outlook is for module cost to decline another 11% per year over the next five years, primarily driven by lower cost production. That should bode well for companies like Tesla. Probably silicon price declines, lower conversion factors, and higher efficiencies, longer module lifespans. So you're starting to see the age renewables start to become very, very competitive with the cheaper end of our energy spectrum. Anyhow, I'm comfortable with this bull market. Got one, two years left in it. If revenue and jobs continue to stay solid, we'll pay attention to that and more. 
find me online at robblack.com, robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Savvy investors know where to find the best. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.